a show dedicated to helping you navigate a challenging and ever-changing financial and real estate landscape. The economy continues to face numerous difficulties. Now, your hosts, Dan Podesto and Jason Grody of Central Coast Lending. The fact that you're being called upon to help clean up Wall Street's mess is an outrage. Broadcasting outrage. live from the KVEC studios in San Luis Obispo. What economy are you talking about? It's talking about, time for Mortgage Matters. Mortgage Matters. Morning, everybody. Welcome to Mortgage Matters. Thanks for being with us. Fine little uh, Saturday here to do two hours of exciting radio. Wouldn't you agree, Dan? I concur. I can't hear yet. All right, we're getting adjusted here. Took a week off. Takes a little bit of time to get back in the saddle. But here we are, feeling good. The equipment's working. Studio's right temperature. Feels good in here. Feels real good. A lot of news to talk about this week. Yeah, you look stacked up, ready to rock. Yeah, I am ready. Share a little bit of personal news here. Kind of so, personal. The A's I, got knocked out of first place. Yeah, we're tied for first. It's tied. That's all right. People are breaking out of their slumps. What's the personal news? <clears throat> well, it has to do with our little company. Oh. I guess it's not personal. It's kind of business, kind of personal, but it's a personal goal has been achieved here in the last week. And that is that our company hit a major milestone funding our first our first loan as a direct lender. It's something that where when we first broke into the mortgage industry, that's how our career started on the operational side of a mortgage bank and we started our company Central Coast Lending about 5 and a half years ago and it's taken a long time to build up to this point, but we um we funded our very first loan as a bank. That's a pretty big deal. It was. We went out and celebrated last night, had a great dinner. Yeah. Had some terrifically sweet wine. Couldn't help but think. <laughs> <laughs> I, I couldn't, I couldn't help my but head think hurt. when we began this business with the idea that we would be a mortgage bank one day. Um, it, it seemed like, in fact, it, it seemed it was easier to attain than it turned out to be because in the beginning they wanted a, a little net worth and then they wanted a little more and a little more and a little more and a little more plus all the regulations and guidelines ever getting more conservative and making the the barrier to entry harder so it is very exciting i thought you were going to share something juicy um no, i didn't really have anything no besides the a is no longer i went to new orleans that's where i was last weekend yeah. I was in New Orleans spending some time with my couple of my family members. It was my cousin's bachelor party. Oof. So first time to New Orleans. First time to the South, really, ever. I think I had been to Florida once, but it was kind of a pass-through going hmm. somewhere else. I spent some time at the airport. Did you get crawfish? No, it's not season. Oh. Not, not the season for that. Weird. But they say there are four seasons down in New Orleans. And it's not your it's your typical hot, hot, hotter and hottest. It's more based on seafood. You've got oh. crayfish, oysters, shrimp, and then I for I I forgot what fish they do down there. Catfish or something. Something. But yeah, we were in. I I don't know what season it was actually. I had some oysters. I didn't have any shrimp. It must have been oyster season. <laughs> I had a few oysters. I'm guessing it was beer season. <laughs> <laughs> so that was pretty fun. Yep. Hey, well, last week we missed uh, the show. We did a rerun last week since we were both 
on the road. And um, I was kind of sad that we did because it was, it was an action-packed week. It was yeah. an action-packed week, and this week was kind of lackluster. I don't know about that. I don't know about really? that. Yeah. How many of those headlines are from two weeks ago? Uh, less than half. This week was a snoozer compared to last week. Totally disagree. All right. Well, then it should be a good show. <laughs> I mean, totally disagree. Last week, we would have spent the greater part of Saturday discussing uh, the employment situation. Right? True. Yeah. Yeah. The employment situation was definitely the headline news story last week. This week, kind of out of left field, in my opinion, was this announcement by the president that he wants to see Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac wound down. And it all of a sudden, you know, I mean, it's been discussed, it's been mentioned, it's never really been seriously talked about. And this week, out of the blue, it becomes a topic of conversation. It sounds like like there's going to be an effort to make some major reforms here. So I thought that was the exciting news this week. I kind of laughed at all that, by the way. Didn't feel timely to me at all. No, it's not. Uh, I think September, that's right around the corner here. Marking, what are we going on, year six now? Conservatorship of Fannie Mae? I think it's year six. The the Fannie and Freddie got bailed out like 170-something billion dollars worth of money to, to fly right. They've repaid now 130-ish billion between the two of them, but not counted in that figure is the profit that they're paying to the government, um, basically into the treasury for all of the loan profits that they've been making. Uh, it's been relatively impressive, and yeah. I can't imagine that the government is going to be eager to disband that and turn it over into some other sort of company utility enterprise i don't know what you want to call it um you know what you know what was really funny about that though i found the irony in it all was just this week the freddie mac and fannie mae fannie mae and freddie mac it sounds weird to say freddie first um they announced their earnings and their dividend payout to the treasury and it was a it was just shy of 15 billion dollars heading to the treasury based on quarter two, and they continue to become more and more profitable as each quarter goes on. Um, it, it, your comment about it not seeming timely was exactly what I was thinking. I mean, here we are making, I mean, housing recovery is the soup du jour when it comes to news headlines right now. And it's, I mean, everywhere you see it's 12% higher home prices and home sales are at, you know, new highs and things like that. And, and, the loan quality is just, I mean, it's of the highest caliber right now. And maybe not everybody knows that, but you and I, with seeing it every day, we know that, I mean, the loans right now are bulletproof that get funded. Um, and now to talk about revamping Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. And then the whole rationale behind it, you know, he, the president said, he believes the housing system should operate where there's a limited government role and private lending should be back the backbone of the housing market. I don't know that that's a good idea. They go on to say that, you know, prior to these times when we're in the economic doldrums here, prior to these times, uh, 
40% of the market was government-backed. But I think you have to look at that immediately preceding the housing crash, only 40% of loans were government-backed. I have a couple thoughts about <laughs> this. Number one, um, haven't we come to realize that almost 100% of the loans in the U.S. are government-backed? Today, <laughs> right. Well, hang on, though. Exactly, By yeah. By way of change in how we took them over right away, we bailed them out, we made sure that the securities were paying, we, we've done everything as a country we can to show that we'll stand behind a U.S. home loan in any way, shape, or form. Whether it's an FHA loan, a Fannie Mae loan, a Freddie Mac loan, or a Goldman Sachs loan. Nomura, you know. <laughs> Credit Suisse, all that junk right. stuff that came through. We hurried up to get right behind every loan in the country. Yeah, so based on recent precedent, it's not very convincing that winding down Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac will ensure that the taxpayers never have to bail out the home loan industry again. You can't. I'm not it, convinced. It can't be said. Now, here's the other thing that I think is really interesting. When we started doing this show uh, more than five years ago, what we one of the first topics that we covered and and as i recall it was quite a hit was just talking about the way that fannie mae came about how why there was a need for fannie mae um and how it's basically been for the better part of our parents lifetime the the common fiber in loans being originated in the u.s um, it's actually influenced other parts of the world too though nobody's caught on to the same kind of involvement that we have here. But um, we could literally talk about this Fannie and Freddie thing all day long. I'll just, I'll try to be as brief as I can in summary. The problem with the lending as it existed before we normalized it with Fannie Mae is that banks made short-term loans with terms that were whatever felt best for them and um, they were generally adjustable rate loans. They had acceleration clauses that may not have had anything to do with the performance of the loan itself, but rather more on the liquidity needs of the bank. Um, we had we had gangsters stealing deed of trusts from the banks, robbing banks to steal deed of trusts and return them to the people because the, it was so egregious the way that the lending environment evolved. Um, furthermore, if you live in a town, a gold rush town or not, where the economy may be huge or not huge, your bank doesn't have enough money to lend out for 30 years to everybody in town to own a house. So they need help from other areas. And what becomes cumbersome about this is, let's just say that I am an aggregator. Absent of Fannie Mae, I, I have a lot of loans that I've made out in old West California. Um, and I'm offering somebody the right to buy these to give me more money so I can continue uh, making loans. They would have to look at every loan so individually, have to understand that the, the valuation of income and asset and credit and collateral and everything that went into it was so subjective and discretionary that there's no way you could look at and review these efficiently or make predictions about whether or not they would be uh, a, a performing asset or not. So what Fannie Mae comes about and does is provides a, a uniform common thread. You could understand basically and trust the DNA of most loans. Hey, this is, if we understand that this is a Fannie Mae loan, we know their position on bankruptcy. We understand how they treat a foreclosure or a collection on a medical bill. We understand how 
they require three sold comps within a mile within six months for the appraisal and basically coming up with all of these really standardized way of evaluating loans makes it easy to trade buy and sell loans which frees up money for us to be able to um, buy sell and trade homes as consumers within safety of good lending product so there you go um, which I and and so in this speech in the same speech president goes on to say that he would he wants to preserve the availability of the 30-year fixed rate loan then he needs a secondary market at so, all times so it tells me that he doesn't understand how the secondary market works or his advisors i mean it's it's unfortunate that the people who make the decisions don't understand the industry they're deciding it's not upon. really surprising to me at all honestly that that we continue to be so out of touch and you know so here's the deal what's going to end up happening we're going to turn it over to bank of america well here's what's going to happen you're going to have private industry come in so all the all the big you know bigger banks that we wanted to make less big so we didn't have to bail them out those bigger banks are going to now start competing for this business by adjusting a guideline here adjusting a guideline there being a little more loose here to attract more business which is exactly the spiral <laughs> we got into to create out of control lending right. so that's going to be there's going to be inconsistency with guidelines which is one of the big benefits of Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac you're going to have uh, if if the government you know is very firm in their stance that we're not backing these loans anymore you're going to have less of a willingness of the investor to want to buy these securities so the rates are going to have to be higher to attract and and uh, you know price the risk appropriately so you're going to have higher interest rates and then you have the issue like you said these you either have loans with acceleration clauses which are a big problem or you just have pretty much an adjustable rate loan market um, so that the banks are always getting the current rate of interest maybe outside of a three to five, maybe seven year window where they can kind of predict where rates are going. So you're, you're going to see the 30 year fix go away, higher interest rates in general and inconsistent guidelines, which could lead to um, some maybe flawed lending practices. Yeah, it's kind of exhausting. And, you know, just as a quick rap sheet real quick about the score, um, was it the was it the campaigning or the recampaigning where Obama filled the airwaves with, you know, the banks are too big to fail and we have to we have to fix that. And those same banks now hold um, significantly more assets than they used to they have a bigger market share than they used to. They've gone exactly the other way. And if recent history is any kind of precedent we're going to have the same cast of knuckleheads make all the new rules about i mean can you imagine what they're going to come up with for the design of how this is going to pan out well it's that it's yeah i i, I don't know I, I don't feel like there would be anything different it's just it seems to cycle back around every every few years the thing I, that scares me is the is the bigger banking entities now because this you know, statement that the taxpayer should never be on the hook for housing again. That's an impossible statement to make when the banks that we've bailed out because they could crush the financial system just got bigger in the last right. five years. Well, and I, I am not a government guy by any stretch. I mean, most, most of the time you're going to find me wishing the government just had less to do with most things. Dealing just in logic over what we've seen over the last few years, I'm not so sure it's a problem that the that the U.S. government 
does kind of control and normalize the housing industry. Um, keeping funds safely available, predictable, and, you know, just normal in the market, I'm not positive why that's necessarily a bad thing. The loans that are being made to these entities now are on U.S. soil. Um, the U.S. banks, and let's face it, I mean, we're every week we're hanging on the words of what these Fed officials have to say. They come from their different Fed banks around the nation, and those big banks are, are truly very powerful banks. Um, the guidelines, it's not like we're having to go reinvent ourselves in terms of um, coming up with the policies and procedures and systems and all this kind of thing to have this system set up. Um, it was almost taken by eminent domain through um, the failure of Fannie and Freddie. We had to, the government had to step in and gird them up to keep the entire global economy from crashing. And they did a decent job. It's profitable now. It's paid back depending on how you score it. Uh, is it so wrong? I mean, because at the end of the day, the government, and, and I'm kind of talking different about the buy and sell of mortgage-backed securities. I don't think that normal consumers understand that I can make a Fannie Mae loan and run the Fannie Mae automated underwriting engine as the cert and follow all of its findings to a T. And I can look up any discrepancies or questions I have in the seller guide. I can make a loan perfectly compliant to a Fannie Mae guideline without ever having actually sent the loan to Fannie Mae or having Fannie Mae even know that the loan even exists. And you can buy that loan from me. Um, with knowledge of Fannie Mae's guidelines, you can do your due diligence to audit it for completeness and accuracy of guidelines. And you can say, agreed, you, you turned every stone over and did the perfect job. And I will buy this for you because we both agree on what it is. So th this can operate in and of itself without the government needing to be in receipt or guarantee or having reviewed or made profit on that transaction. To me, the bigger deal is having a widely accepted common thread, know the DNA of every loan that's going down, and so then you can always identify the outlier. If you remove the the staple product, now everybody's the outlier. And like you said, Dan, you get back to this Wild West era where people are going, you know, that whole rule about not being able to do an interest-only adjustable on a cash-out loan, we'll do that. Come on, bring them up. And then people start doing stupid loans and getting ahead of themselves in interest of making profit and gaining market share. We see degraded underwriting quality. That's exactly what just what just happened. That's what we're still recovering from. Um, so I, I watched a bit of the speech. I thought it was laughable. I couldn't believe how uninformed the president is and how childish his opinion seemed. I can't believe that we're considering disbanding this how if the housing economy has like gotten its legs again right and it's like we still worry about it it's like watching your kid run downhill away from you you want to make sure that you that you have everything the way that it should be uh, you don't want the guidelines too strict you don't want them um, too lean you don't want interest rates to go up too quickly you don't want to see all these little things you worry about and as soon as we've got now one year of kind of positive data we seem to be challenging it from most angles hey how about some higher interest rates for you and let's see how you do now and how about this how about that hey now we're going to start going on air to talk about getting rid of Fannie and freddie um 
we should have been getting rid of Fannie and Freddie four years ago while they were a big-time loser if that was the goal. Now that it's highly profitable, why the rush to get rid of them now that the housing economy is finally getting strong? It just seems bizarre to me. I I felt like there it was maybe I was um, expecting it almost was a distractionary tactic. I thought maybe like Monsanto created some big food bill that passed that morning while we were like <laughs> over here watching about the the Fannie Mae talk. Boy, oh boy, I digress. See, and you thought this week wasn't exciting. That was that was exciting. It was excitingly disappointing. Um, we we probably we have a few minutes here before the break, and so we probably owe a few minutes just to catch up on what what did happen in the employment situation. Um, so we learned now, um, the numbers for July, right? So the first Friday of the month, they come out with a little bit of data to, to bring you up to speed on how many jobs we created, what happened to the overall unemployment number. Dan, you and I had some conversations. Um, I, I'm not afraid to say it. I was hoping the, un, uh, the unemployment rate would go up. That's what I was hoping. Um, now, I, at the same time, was hoping that we created a lot of jobs. I was hoping that we created a plentiful amount of good head of household jobs. Um, and, boy, neither really happened, did they? No, it was our, what, our worst job gain since March, 162,000. Yet the unemployment rate fell. So that seems to be the trend. Every time we have a good number of jobs added, that's when the unemployment rate rises. And then when we have a lower number added, the unemployment rate falls for some reason. Well, and the, it's kind funny, of unusual. the funny, funny thing, too, which we would have talked about last week, because last Thursday, initial jobless claims came out. Those people showing up for first time benefits, uh, first time unemployment benefits. Um, whoa. Did you see this number? Down to 325 this week at 330. 325 <laughs> is like touching into healthy good <laughs> yeah you can't you can't hardly look at that and say that's a problem um it'd be nice to see that be the norm but that was a i mean that was a big head turner and then to see that come out on thursday and then on friday to see the unemployment number fall a little bit or the jobless rate fall um i think most people were like hey cool went down a little bit um, it went down because of a lack of participation and a lack of new jobs created and really altogether a pretty dismal report. Yeah, I, I think with confidence, I can say the best part of the the jobs market right now is the, the lay, laying off fewer and fewer people as each week goes by. I mean, that's been consistently falling for several years now, consistently falling. And it's not been big jumps. It's been gradual and... And it, it, it's a good number, and, and I'm happy to see that number down to 325, 330 this most recent week. We, sh we learned just you know, doing a little research that in the best of economic times, weekly jobless claims are around 280. Yeah. So this isn't far off from those best of, of times type of number. The concern still is with the number of, of underemployed people, and that's, that's the part that's concerning. We're not... You know, even though we've averaged 200,000 jobs gained per month, which is getting to be a better, better and better number, um, that number slipped here in the last three months. The problem is the quality of jobs that are being created. And I, we found some numbers here. Part-time work accounted for more than 65% of the positions added in July. 
And then uh, the low-paying retailers, restaurants, and bars supplied more than half of July's job gain. So obviously some of those are part-time. Um, so the quality of jobs just is not there. The mid-paying industries, so when you look at it for the, so far this whole year, which is now s seven months of data, um, lower-paying industries have pr provided 61% of the job growth, while mid-paying industries have contributed just 22%. Of the job so game. the lion's share of the jobs we are adding are junk jobs that you're not capable of, of running a household on. Correct. And of total jobs available that, that exist in the United States, only 39% of those jobs are the low-paying, yet they're accounting for 61% of the job growth. So... Doesn't sound like you're impressed by the job creation in the last... Uh... I'm not, and that's that's been the theme. That that kind of flies under with all the numbers that are coming out. We don't really evaluate the quality of the jobs too much. It, it's more just about the unemployment rate and the number gained and less information being provided to the public about the quality, and that, that's the problem. That's why we have Mortgage Matters here. We are reading past the headlines and digging into the real news Guys, it's uh, just turning to 10.30 here. we got to get out for the first commercial break. We come back, we're going to bring in a guest. We have uh, Chris Richardson waiting to join us. And he's a, uh, well, I'm not going to tell you what he is. You're going to have to stay tuned to listen, but I know that you're going to be impressed. So stick with us. We'll be back after this break for more Mortgage Matters. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. Borrowing hundreds of thousands of dollars for a home purchase or refinance can be a stressful endeavor. And if you're like most Californians, you only get a home loan once every five years. That's why you need an experienced guide who knows the terrain and can carry the load of two mules. You need the Mortgage Sherpa, and he's only at Central Coast Lending. Let the Mortgage Sherpa lighten your load. Call Central Coast Lending today at 543-LOAN. That's 543-5626. Central Coast Lending, the mortgage experts. What a state of generosity. Look what my age got for me just by switching to State Farm. A few hundred unexpected bucks, I couldn't ask for more. But now I've got to figure out what I should use it for. A new bike would be radical, but maybe something practical, like a pet baboon with one robotic arm. Get to a better state, State Farm. Switch to State Farm and you could save. To find out more in San Luis Obispo, call Agent Susan Rodriguez. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley & Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley & Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley & Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. Let's go! He walks fairly down the street with the brim pool. 
All right, everybody, welcome back. Here we go. Now my headphones are dialed. It only took a half an hour. I couldn't hear anything. I was going blind. All right, you guys are listening to Mortgage Matters. It's just after 1030 today. I'm in the studio here with Dan Podesto and now with Chris Richardson. And Chris Richardson, I see your guys' uh, sign all around town, the Richardson Properties must be you guys just must be part of the wealthy elite of san Louis. <clears throat> i feel honored to have you on the show today well i think if we if we made money by the amount of signs we have out we'd be doing pretty good so thank, thank you thank you guys for having me on today appreciate yeah, it for sure we're always trying to get fresh blood in here and keep the the listenership interested and engaged and um there's a there's a bit to talk about today and and um I, I first of all, I think we should just start with a little bit of the basics. Um, you're a local dude, right? Yeah, I am. Uh, San Luis High grad, uh, Cal Poly grad. Uh, so I've been around for a little while here. Uh, spent some time down in Southern California, where we're originally from, but uh, moved back here in 2001 and uh, have been here since. So, yeah. And been doing real estate all along? Uh, pretty much. A couple of stops along the way, pharmaceutical sales, oh. and uh, worked for a startup up in the Bay Area back in the, the dot-com, you know, era. So, um, but yeah, I, uh, my dad's been in real estate for 40 years. I, I grew up around it. I was going to meetings as a youngster, so yeah. So you already spoke the language. It's just easy I to did. hop in. Yeah, it was something that I kind of grew up around and, and kind of knew that eventually I was going to get back into it and made that decision in 01 and moved back and haven't looked back. We meet a lot of realtors um, and talk, you know, basically there, it seems like there's a few different kind of realtors. It seems like there's folks that want to work with buyers. There's folks that want to work with sellers. Um, what's your, what's your forte? Well, um, I mean, we've all been through some crazy times like you guys have in the last few years. So, I think that's changed for a lot of people. Uh, one of our focuses or specialties has, you know, for the last probably 15 or 20 years has been to uh, identify land opportunities for developers and home builders and, and try and help the landowner understand what the value of their property might be to that buyer, make that transaction. And then ultimately we like to help the developer and home builder with the sale on the retail side once they've developed the property. So that's been a, a, a niche or a focus of our business. And, and since the downturn, that was pretty much gone. And I'm sure we'll get into that more as we talk here. There really was no construction, not a lot of land development or home building. So that went away. Um, we're an affiliate of Christie's International Real Estate. Okay. And we've been affiliated with them for about five or six years. Uh, we have a, the affiliation for San Luis County is, is our market area. Um, and that's been a great thing for us to have. It allows us to market properties locally mm -hmm. out of the area and gives us some really unique ways to do that through that affiliation and that network. Uh, Christie's International Real Estate is owned by Christie's Auction House. And so, uh, which is a, took me a little while to fully understand that, that uh, value and that relationship, but it's, it's really important important the folks that are at these auctions buying expensive items are the people that we want to be marketing you know the higher end homes to so we have some really unique ways to do that through that affiliation so you know if I had to kind of summarize what are our focuses I would say it's sort of that premier property and then the land and new home as uh, you know as sort of the 
niches that we like to focus on. Huh. That sounds interesting to me. I gotta I gotta wonder now um, if the if much of the focus has been on doing new construction stuff. Have you just been on a beach in Hawaii or something for the last <laughs> few years? I wish that was the case. I I probably probably should have taken a year or two and just done that. But uh, no, you you know you. I don't know. It, it just kind of evolves. You when you're in those times and those markets, and I, I certainly haven't been through as many as as folks who've been in the business for 25, 30, 40 years. I've been probably 15 years in the business, um, but I think you just try and f you know you try and work your way through it and whatever you can do. Yeah, and you try and find opportunities in those markets, and those opportunities look different than they do today. Right. Um, as we, you know, continue to claw our way out of this deep, you know, recession and uh, real estate recession. So, so it seems like it's behind us now, but for a pretty good stretch, uh, a lot of people saying, you know, you can't even build a house for what that one's selling for. So until that returns, there ain't no sense in even talking about trying to build something. And, and I remember looking through and seeing houses selling for, you know, depends on what part of the county, but selling for 20, 30, 40% below the replacement cost as figured on the appraisal. It's kind of a trip that just unloading these things with next to no value. I mean, the materials are just worth more than what, what they're selling for. Uh, and I think that, that we've officially passed that now. Uh, and as evident by the fact that around the county, there's multiple little projects that are underway now. We see people getting back to building. And you just don't see the, the short sales and foreclosures advertised. Today, actually, in the real estate section of the Tribune, was the first time in, I can't even remember how long, several months, um, that I've seen a short sale property listed for sale. It was a brand new listing as a short sale. And I, I was just blown away. I haven't seen one of those. I mean, it's maybe even been a year. Yeah, we when you track the inventory of the short and REO, or bank-owned sales, you can, I mean, it's you can see it on the graph. Those sales are going down, and the and the normal equity sales are increasing. So the the market is definitely healing. Back to your point, Jason, on the uh, on the the environment where homes were selling below replacement cost. I mean, that's why we basically didn't see any construction. Granted, there you know I'm exaggerating a little. There was some construction out there, but very few and far between. And that was because. Builders and developers couldn't. They, there was no way for them to acquire a piece of land, make the improvements, pay the fees, sell it at market at that time, and make a profit. Right. And in fact, if they did went through that whole process, they were likely to lose money. So obviously, they're not going to do that yeah, if it's not a project that they're already into and they got to work out of. So um, yeah, I mean, we did. There just virtually was no construction, and and I think that's one of the things that's fueling this recovery, I, you know, you guys were, were talking a lot about the recovery and what's going on in the, with Fannie and Freddie in the segment before. Um, but really what's, to me, what's driving this recovery is the interest rate environment that we're in along with the lack of supply. Because as you guys were also talking, the job market is still sort of a mixed bag of good and bad information. It seems like it's sort of recovering, but maybe the quality of the jobs is not, is not where we need it to be and maybe that pace of that recovery is not where we need it to be in the job sector so um the to me the real estate recovery that's occurring right now is it's it's lack of supply and interest rate environment the job market definitely 
is a huge factor in that. And as that improves, I think the real estate market obviously will continue to improve. But right now, it's just based on lack of supply. We've already seen in recent moves of consumer confidence that the consumer is catching on to these higher interest rates and it's changing morale and mentality already even about the housing market. Um, we saw last month, uh, at the tail end of the month, um, even pending home sales were beginning to change and that we're expecting to see uh, in the numbers of late August and early September about um, just kind of a change at the pace at which these homes are being absorbed up by the market. Uh, I have been talking to all of my realtor contacts lately and uh, they're kind of collaborating the same story that there are uh, the frenzy perhaps might be gone now. Um, houses are, you know, I, I had clients that were rushing to a home its first day on the market uh, to be one of eight offers in that they knew they needed to get in by the end of the day, um, going for very near or right at sales price. Um, we saw situations where they clearly went over sales price to try to win and still did not. And that kind of frenzy had people no kidding. I mean, we were talking with folks that said they were writing offers now on homes they'd not yet had the opportunity to go inside. And yeah. that's pretty unnerving given what what recently we went through was ex it felt so similar. This falling all over yourself, um, removing logic and reason to just make the quick acquisition because otherwise you're getting priced out uh, or outcompeted. Um, and so I understand now that that's kind of changing, that it's slowing down a little bit. People have a little bit more breathing room, perhaps rates going up the, the small amount that they did knocked some of those fringe buyers out of affordability. Um, but, uh, so I'm curious, what's, what's been your experience, you know, and within your circles, is that generally the case? Would you agree that things are kind of cooling a little bit? Well, yeah, I think that I, I mean, we saw exactly what you just described. I would, I would say, you know, approximately two or three months ago. Is that when the, when the interest rates started their upward trajectory? Yeah, about the May first, first week of May was right about where it started to, to make its move. So March, April, I would characterize our local market here, generally speaking, I'm not talking high end or condos, but just generally speaking, I would say it was white hot. And then, and there was a tremendous amount of activity, like you indicated, multiple offers over asking price, very reminiscent of 2005, 2006, right. not to suggest we're at those numbers, but sort of the activity level. Um, but as the interest rates started to progress up pretty quickly, and I know that they've softened since then, but that definitely put the, put a little bit of the brakes on. And so it, uh, which maybe maybe that was a good thing. maybe it was yeah and, and we we've conceded that point already um in terms of just housing um that's okay little little any reason to give some cause for hey should we be this out of control right now after such a a short time ago people were going uh, i don't want to buy it you buy it i'm not going to buy that it's going to be worth 10 percent less next year i don't buy that you know to suddenly like i'll take two how many can i get uh really just a, a bizarre change in the market and way too fast you know and furthermore if we're calling a spade a spade i can take you through the books in the last few years we have clients that refinance three and four and five times i mean 
it sounds crazy, I know, but the the people that were really tuned into what was happening were doing a no cost refinance where they literally were not growing their loan amount or paying anything out of pocket. And they turned their six into a five and a half, into a five, into a four and a half, into a four, into a three and a half, and on on down the line. And you know, uh, that I'm I'm okay with that being over. Obviously, all I would if you guys want to do it again, I'll give them all two. I'm <laughs> I'm okay with that, but it's kind of ridiculous. I mean, how cheap can you borrow money at at a guaranteed fixed rate for thirty years? I've been long predicting uh, that we're going to end up in this position where the banks are actually going to be having problems over these ridiculously cheap loans that they've got out um, against inflation and the cost of like current interest rates. But we'll see that unfold. I, it, it's just been kind of bizarro to me, but altogether, it's kind of uh, hard to argue that we are ready to build some new houses. We still need the inventory. Um, there's a way to make a profit now we're seeing I'm actually having people call and ask about construction loans for spec builds and stuff so the water is warming up and I know that you're on the pulse of new construction um, so I want to talk a bit more about that we do need to do a commercial break it's a quarter to 11 so we take some time out to thank the sponsors so stick with us after this short break and we'll be back we're going to dive on into this and start talking about some of these new tracks and and what's happening so stay around mortgage matters whether you're a first-time home buyer or a savvy real estate investor, there's no denying that now is a great time to buy. We pride ourselves in offering every loan program at the lowest interest rate and the lowest fees. FHA, VA, USDA, conventional, we do it all. Let Central Coast Lending do your next purchase. Your loan will close on time and on budget with no last-minute surprises. Call Central Coast Lending today at 543-LOAN. That's 543-5626. Central Coast Lending, the mortgage experts. The state of denial is a drag and a trial. When I bought my cheap insurance, should have known this day would come. Now I've had an accident and I'm feeling quite alone. Called them at least 20 times, but they won't pick up the phone. Without personal service, my policy's kind of worthless. Get to a better state, State Farm. Switch to State Farm and you can save. To find out more in San Luis Obispo, call Agent Susan Rodriguez. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley and Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley and Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley and Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. All 
right, as we're learning, the real estate economy is back in black, and I'm I'm, up there. I'm guessing that's why old Jim picks this one out of the box. That's what it is. Nicely done, sir. Nicely done. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So the builders are back in black. Um, as it as it usually is during the break, we started down a road that. Uh, Probably should have had microphones on for, so I'll attempt to reset it. So I gotta, I gotta primer this pump here by asking you, Chris. Um, you were saying that you have had recent discussions with some of the folks in the in the community development department here at the city. Um, let me tell you this real quick before you start. I was talking with some folks that because uh, I was a planning major, that's where I came from. They were talking about trying to figure out how to get rid of planners close the desk a couple days a week maybe even i heard somebody joking that some of the planners might have a day out in the field to go to like around to the parks and help empty the trash because they just had nothing to do and now as i understand it these guys are working nice long hours and struggling to catch up with the amount of permits that are coming in from every angle yeah i think that that is accurate i mean you know during during that downturn we were talking about when it didn't make sense for the home builders and developers there there weren't a lot of applications coming in their door so i'm not i'm sure they were busy with you know remodels and that sort of stuff but not the tracks and the you know the new home plans and that sort of stuff what we talked about at the break was conversations uh, and presentations i've been involved in recently with uh, folks from the community development department at san Luis city and and they're going over what projects they have in the pipeline and that could be a commercial project or a track map or building plans and and they're overwhelmed right now i don't know what the exact total quantity is but there's a, a lot of applications coming in the door and, and they're very busy and they're looking at ways to uh, provide either a consistent level of service or even maybe better than what has been seen in the past by utilizing consultants outsourcing some of that review which i'm very supportive of. I think it makes a lot of sense versus hiring more people with all of the other costs that are associated with that because you're trying to manage a, a situation in time that may not be sustainable, you know, or at that level. Or not I mean, a long-term demand. Yeah, and, and sustainable might not be the right word. I mean, uh, hopefully it is sustainable, but the amount of volume will probably settle when we kind of, you know, now that we have this pent-up demand, and, and that's what we're dealing with right now. It's probably not a normalized set of demand or quantity of demand. So when that normalizes, it, it would be a shame if they ramped up for that, then it normalizes, and then they got to deal with, with those situations. So anyways, I think that the... I pause. I just i am a big fan of them outsourcing some of that review because the less... I mean, it, it's great to have specialists and all these people on staff or whatever, but if you can take advantage of another company at a competitive rate where they're responsible for the health care and the pension and the the AC being on in the building and all those things that's not on uh, the the local government dime, I'm a big, I'm a big fan of that. So I, I think I, I'm looking forward to us getting smarter about all of the ways that we do business. But anyways. Yeah, it's, I... I I totally agree. Um, I'm excited. I'm really excited about the time that we're in here with this, you know, coming out of the recovery. Um, as f you know, as far as San Luis City and the planning and building department, there's some phenomenal talent there right now, and there's really a mentality to uh, work with and help, you know, bring housing where it makes sense and where it's zoned and all those, you know, 
qualifications that have to be there for it to be a viable project. But there's just a, I, th I think what's come out of this economy that we all went through and labored through is a realization that if, if there's no, not proper economic development, and that's, you know, new, new jobs that we were talking about earlier locally and, and regionally and nationally, but, uh, and along with that is housing. You got to have both. And, you know, you can argue which one comes first, and, but the bottom line is, you know, if you want high-quality jobs, and we have some great companies here that are growing and expanding, MindBody, Level Studios, Shopatron, those are fantastic. They, they offer fantastic qual high-quality jobs. Those people, they want to eventually buy a home or move up from a condo to a house or something. So, or go somewhere where they can. Yeah, and that's the thing. We need more of those opportunities. The other issue is if people are going to attract talent here, they're going to say, well, yeah, it's great. Great great lifestyle, great company that I'm looking at a job for, but what if that doesn't work? What if that company's bought or sold or you know, the business changes and they have to shrink? Then what do I do? I've got my family here and we're entrenched in the community. So they need to know there's other options. And so there's like a critical mass, I think, mm -hmm. that we're get, we're on the right path or trajectory for. We need to hopefully see it continue and then that obviously dovetails with housing because those people w want a place where they can you know ha have for their family and and kind of get uh you know settled into the community so right. i think it's a pretty exciting time on both fronts all right so it's heating up we're building more houses it's a good time to jump things are working well what's what pokers are in the fire today Oh geez, crystal ball here. Um, well, I think the to me the the biggest one is the interest rate environment and the job market. You know what what the the job market picture is still unclear, and uh, and and uh, to go back to that first segment, you guys talked a lot about that. Um, you know the quality of jobs, the the rate of improvement or decline in unemployment, and so that's a real issue. And and interest rates, like we were just talking about in the prior segment that at, when we saw them bump and I think they went up a point and maybe they've settled back a half a point to just generalize it. But I mean, that had an obvious effect and slowed the market down. So to me, those are the two critical unknowns that could thwart or slow this, this housing and economic recovery in my mind. So that's, those are the things I'm keeping an eye on. So a lot of the, the national media has, <clears throat> has suggested that interest rates rising to five or even six percent would be unlikely to to slow this housing market to a concerning degree. Um, we've already seen just a small jump in interest rates. Now they're you know, around four to four and a half percent for a thirty-year fixed. That that's definitely cooled the environment, maybe to a, a healthier pace. Um, so logic suggests to me that. A further increase would cool it even more, but the national media seems to suggest that that's not going to be the case. What's your feeling on that? Well, I think I think part. Uh, first of all, I think that as interest rates rise, it cools the market. I think there's an adjustment and an acclimation period to that effect. You know, interest rates are absolutely fantastic right now, and five percent is great. But when you've seen three point two five, five seems, you know, over <laughs> over what you're comfortable with, but and I think the the real issue is how fast it moves because there's a natural acclimation to a gradual rate increase that maybe you kind of get used to or acclimate to. But when it happens pretty quickly, like it we saw it 
you know, in May or whenever uh, here recently. I think that kind of is a shock to people and it, it creates pause. So if the, if the interest rates are a gradual increase, then, you know, maybe the, the effect is less. We talked to a lot of clients where um, they were not yet transacting business, but we're right there, you know, writing offers, hoping to get one right when the interest rates change. And to give you an idea of what really materially changed, uh, you know, first of all, interest rates actually never change. The interest rate itself is always there. It's always an option. What really changes is the points or credit at any given rate. So somebody at a three and a quarter interest rate suddenly found themselves Whereas three and a quarter, you know, potentially at um, a half a point or maybe a point, uh, found themselves after that initial spike to keep their three and a quarter needing to pay almost eight points. Uh, eight points on a four hundred thousand dollar loan is like <laughs> thirty two grand. It's impossible. You just you you would throw your hands in the air and you know I'm going home. Uh, okay, so paying the fees is not an option. Now let's find an interest rate. Like what is the interest rate then at that one point, half a point or one point place where you were? And they go, oh, that's that's now four and a half. Wow, okay, so what does four and a half mean? Um, four and a half means that you're gonna be paying an extra $280 a month to have that same house. And the consumer kind of goes, you guys are out of your mind. There's no way I'm going to pay 32 grand more or pay an extra 300 bucks a month. There's no way that these are the new rates that happened overnight. I'm going to go home and wait and watch it come back down. And I think that I've already seen about a half a dozen of my clients kind of come back to the table and go, all right, I guess they're not going back to three and a quarter. And though you may be filled with the coulda, woulda, shouldas, it, it is just the new market and it takes a little bit of time because I got to tell you, I have new refinance applications this week. Also, I've consulted with new home buyers that are just coming to the table and they sit down and they're qualified and your rate's four and a quarter or four and a half or whatever. Uh, and they go, sweet. They have no, it's not in context to three and a quarter. So it's those people that were in flux. It's those people that hadn't quite transacted, but were close, feel like they got the rug pulled out from under them and are feeling a little bit shell-shocked. But I still don't see a shortage of qualified buyers and and really even refinancers out there. So anyways, guys, we're getting forced into the top of the hour break. We're going to be out for a few minutes. When we get back, we're going to learn more about uh, one of Chris's big tracks here that he's got coming up in San Luis. So stick with us after the break. More Mortgage Matters. Two Mortgage Matters. Yeah, I failed to mention this earlier in the show. Dan and I um, own a business called Central Coast Lending, and we do home loans. And um, in in some roundabout way, it's why we're here today. Um, we do the show every week to, to uh, well, it's a few-fold. Number one, we want to help 
educate the local uh, community here so that we have savvy consumers and just better as a whole for it. Um, the other deal is is that we're it's our interest to give you a little glimpse into our ongoing resume here. Um, hopes to establish some credibility with you all. And um, if you or a, a loved one is looking for um, guidance in home finance, that you would reach out to us and, and let us offer you our expertise. So if you need that help, you can give us a call. The number to the office is 543-5626. Happens to be 543-LOAN, um, which is a, a pretty suiting name for the guys that uh, offer the loans in town. Now... Um, what else? Oh, this is an interactive talk radio show. I nearly forgot. Um, we can take phone calls live on the air. We've been known to do it before. 543-8830. If you want to call in and, and share a, a comment or ask a question, we'd love to hear from you. 543-8830. We've been joined today by Chris Richardson um uh, i'm kind of surprised you're such an eloquent speaker we're not we're not we're not used to thank this you thank you baby oh very well spoken I, I can, you're like you're groomed in the speaking department well mate i like this radio thing i can get used to it radio's <laughs> fun we have a good time in here and you know, if nothing else, the 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 third reason why I was going to say why Dan and I really haven't given up doing the show because it's a big time commitment, uh, but it's kind of personal development. I mean, it keeps us on the cutting edge of having to pay really close attention. Um, we bring in amazing guests, and um, I mean, we've had a laundry list of guests in here that I would otherwise have no way of getting to spend an hour with and get inside their head. Um, so it, it really, it rounds me out better as a, uh, both a, just personally and professionally. And so it's really, if, if nobody's even listening today, then I, then I've got you in here for an hour, believing people are getting you to, to explain to me what makes you tick and that. I think you're just trying to take some pressure off. I'm going to use some parts of it. I'm telling you that. So. Uh, I wanted to to um, talk with you a little bit more about the new construction thing, and I know that you are intimately involved in the Sarah Meadows project, and I'm sure that that's going to perk up the ears of some of our listenership because we actually had phone calls before about um, people that were anxiously awaiting the project and wanting to learn more about it. And um, at one point, we actually had somebody call and ask if, if we could find a a guest to have on the show that could come and talk a bit about Sarah Meadows. So in a roundabout way that came up by a way of a, a round of golf here, I've met you now and you're on the show. And so um, I'm, I'm interested to learn about the project. And I, I must admit that I, I don't feel that I, I, that I know that much about it. Well, I appreciate you inviting me on even after you saw my golf game. So <laughs> <laughs> you can't judge a guy by only his golf yeah. game. Well, no, I, I really appreciate the opportunity. It's it's fun um, to to be here with you. I enjoyed listening to that first segment, and I think it's a uh, oh, you're going to be a listener for life now. Yeah, I think I'm hooked. And it's, <laughs> I found the app and everything, so I can listen to it on my iPhone. So, um, no, I think it's great for the the consumers out there to get the perspective that you guys are sharing from sort of in the trenches. And great show um, with regard to Sarah Meadows. Yeah, we're we're excited to be a part of it. We're excited to 
finally be bringing it to market. And I know that it has been years and years and years in the making, and and uh, more recently it sort of started and then stopped for a little bit, and now it's restarting again. So I know that that was a little bit hard for people uh, to understand what was going on and why and, and all that sort of stuff, but to not labor into the 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 gory details of why it took so long. Um, we're, our sales office is open. Um, we're, we're meeting with folks from our interest list, and we're sharing information on our first phase. Um, to, to back up a little bit, you know, we were talking about the lack of new homes, uh, development and construction. Uh, this is the first single-family detached new home community for San Luis City in approximately 10 years to any scale. I mean, there's been smaller kind of one-off new home construction. But um, so there's clearly some pent-up demand. Uh, I think there's somewhere around two and a half to three months worth of supply of homes in the city based on the current sales pace. So, which is probably a, a little bit unhealthy. I mean, typically you'd probably want uh, more like five or six months, maybe even seven months of supply. So I think, you know, back to the demand factor, there's there's just not a lot of supply. But uh, again, we're excited to, to be opening up the office. Uh, we have our first phase of uh, 13 homes under construction right now. Uh, we haven't officially sold any homes yet. We're, we're getting the information out on those floor plans and lots and pricing and the amenities um, and, and meeting with our interest list right now. But very soon we will transition into more of a sales uh, approach on that first phase. Um, so um, where is Sarah Meadows? Good question. Uh, it, it happens to be right where, near where we are at today. Uh, it's located off of South Higuera. Today, the the uh, the way into the community is off of Margarita. Okay, uh, right so by go, the DMV. By the DMV, yeah. You go down Margarita and turn right on Calle Malva, and then our sales office is just around the corner. Ultimate par- part of this new home community is a uh, um, is infrastructure for. Prado Road to rebuild Prado Road. Ultimately, that will be a four-lane road that will eventually connect all the way to Broad Street, which will take years, and because it's kind of built in segments with the as development occurs. Sure. And you know that was one of the ob- exactions from yeah. the city to approve the project. <laughs> yeah, it, and that was a complicated piece of it because it's not an inexpensive road. There's a uh, there's a little bit of a foothill that comes down into it. Yeah, the soil's not great. There's a round. There's several roundabouts. There's one in front of our new home community of Sarah Meadows. So uh, it, it was a complicated piece to sort through. But again, we worked worked really well with staff and came up with a, a program to get that built for the city that worked economically for the new home community of Sarah Meadows. So how many homes altogether are going to be built in Sarah Meadows? Uh, how many phases, how many homes total project? Uh, all said, there's 177 homes. Okay. And as far as phases, I would suspect, I mean, there's 17 in our first phase. So that would tell you there'd be around 10 phases probably through the course of the, of the sale and build out. Um, so yeah, you know what the, the market demand will sort of pr- you know, drive how many phases we have and how fast we're able to move through it. So far, we've seen quite a bit of demand pressure because of that lack of inventory. So, yeah, I, um, I'm, I know you're familiar with the Moylan Terrace project they were building and 
right about the same time that they've got all these delays with their second and third phases that they've got to go into, you guys have taken a little bit long to come to market too. And I've heard some cynical people around saying that it was because real estate was appreciating. If you drug your feet, the project would make so much more money. Uh, well, I wish, I wish we were that smart, but, uh, no, I mean, we, you know, I, I know that, you know, I can understand that perception from, from people in the public, but the reality is that, um, we were pushing as fast as we could. There's no reason to delay. There's a lot of money sitting in that land and a lot of money required to take it to the next step. And the faster you can get it to market, sell homes, retain that you know get, get that capital back and move through the new home community it's it's better for us and right you know we just think better in general i thought that was true for sure and not to mention the longer you wait and should you make a calculated delay it would just i in my opinion it would have to be foolish because the the housing market is now and you got to get if it if it made sense to break ground in the first place and you're going for it you got to kind of like get it done and unload it and get your money back out of it while it, the getting's good. Who knows what could happen? I mean, if if something came unhinged and interest rates made it to 8 or 9%, God forbid, um, what might that do? And no one wants to wait around and see that happen. So I I laughed and dismissed those pretty quickly, but Yeah, when you have when you in real estate development i mean you have you know where the market is today and there's no guarantees where it's going to be tomorrow right you know and yeah. so yeah you you there's no advantage to to delaying and um we certainly you know we're pushing as hard as we can and, and are thrilled to be getting to market now yeah. So, yeah that's exciting stuff hey we got a phone call here working we're going to take a call from brad in san luis obispo good morning welcome to mortgage matters Maybe. Take two. Yes. There. There. Hey, can you hear me? Can hear you now. Hey, how are you guys? Good. How are you? Good morning. Good. Hey, I just had a quick question about uh, private mortgage insurance. You might have gone over this before, but uh, I'm a I'm an occasional listener. Um, I, I was just wondering at what point you can get out of paying uh, PMI on an FHA loan. I know that uh, that house val- house values are going up, and maybe people are above, you know, that 20% uh, or 80% equity or whatever. And I was wondering if there's any way to get out of paying that early. Oh, boy. Yeah, okay. Um, Let's see. So, first of all, people that have mortgage insurance should be um, perking up their ears and paying close attention here. Mortgage insurance ranges locally somewhere between 100 and I've seen it as much as $800 a month. So, Depends on the kind of loan you have, depends on the size of the loan, uh, depends on credit score, all of these kinds of things. If you have an FHA loan, which sounds like you do, Brad, um, you it depends when you got the loan. So I'm going to assume that you got the loan more than a year ago. Um, yeah. And in that case, here's, here's the bottom line of what you need to know. The mortgage insurance on an FHA loan has a five-year minimum. So should you be in a position after a year or two to cancel the mortgage insurance, you're on the hook for a minimum of five years. It won't go away before that time has lapsed. Mortgage insurance um, goes away by amortization. And so what that means is you're going to have to pay your loan balance down um, to 80% of its original um 
purchase price as you, you know you bought your house let's just for sake of round numbers if you bought it for five hundred thousand um, when your loan is now officially four hundred thousand you'd have an eighty percent loan to value um, at that point you could call and challenge the mortgage insurance to go away um, it's a very common misconception in an FHA loan that market value would have an impact on your mortgage insurance in other words I bought my house for 400,000 and sure I still owe 390 on it but the neighbor just bought a house for 500,000 and it's the model match. So now I clearly have 20% equity and I want out of my mortgage insurance. That does not work on FHA. That would work on some of the conventional loan programs. Um, different types of things that it would work on, but not FHA. So the only two ways that you're going to get rid of your mortgage insurance is if you make your regular old minimum monthly payment, it takes just between 10 and 11 years to hit that number on regular payment amortization. If you inherit a good chunk of money, uh, maybe you would consider sending a large lump sum to the bank to amortize down to that 80% amount at which time you still need to have the five-year minimum. Um, and that's those are really your only two options um, to have the loan you have today and make it happen. If you, let's say that you're four years in and your equity is by way of market value, not amortization, um, then you need to just get a new loan. We would refinance you into a conventional loan um, if you got showed 20% equity in the appraisal, um, then you would be eligible to get a new loan without mortgage insurance, no problem. That is a great opportunity for people to get out of their mortgage insurance, but it depends how long you've had that loan. If your interest rate is 3.5%, you're not going to get that today, so that's got to be weighed out as well. Do you abandon the low interest rate you have just to get rid of the mortgage insurance um, and sometimes it's the best of both worlds where we can get you a lower interest rate and no mortgage insurance, but you never know. Okay, that, that clears it up for me. I really appreciate that explanation. Thanks so much, Jason. All right, Brad, have a good one. Timely topic. Um, in fact, this week we're writing a big piece on getting rid of your mortgage insurance. And it is, it's truly different for all of the loan programs. Uh, I just encourage anybody that has mortgage insurance to, to give us a call at the office and we can talk to you about your situation and tell you whether or not, um, you know, the ins and outs. It, it matters what kind of mortgage insurance you have, what kind of loan you have the nature of the equity that you've accrued. Um, so give us a call. The number of the office is 543-LOAN, 543-5626. I am going to do a commercial break, and then we're going to spend up the last few minutes that we have here with Chris before you uh, – what are you doing today? You're probably going to you gonna go sell some houses or play some golf. Probably a mix of both. I, I definitely need to <laughs> work on the golf game. <laughs> All right, guys, we're going to do a quick commercial break here, take some time out for the sponsors. When we get back, we'll have more with Chris, a little bit more about Sarah Meadows and perhaps other things that might be going on. So stick with us after this short break for more Mortgage Matters. 
through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change. Blakesley & Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley & Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley & Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. You wouldn't hike Mount Everest without a Sherpa, and you shouldn't endure the loan process without one either. At Central Coast Lending, we take the confusion, stress, and anxiety out of your loan transaction. Our experienced team of loan officers will serve as your guides, your experts, your mortgage Sherpas. Let the Central Coast Lending mortgage Sherpas lighten your load. Call Central Coast Lending today at 543-LOAN. That's 543-5626. Central Coast Lending, the mortgage experts. The state of denial is a drag and a trial. When I bought my cheap insurance, should have known this day would come. Now I've had an accident and I'm feeling quite alone. Called them at least 20 times, but they won't pick up the phone. Without personal service, my policy's kind of worthless. Get to a better state, State Farm. Switch to State Farm and you can save. To find out more in San Luis Obispo, call Agent Susan Rodriguez. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. Jason Grody in the studio with Dan Podesto today, joined by Chris Richardson. It was really my goal today to dive on in and talk a lot about Sarah Meadows. I want to, frankly, I kind of want to feel like an expert when I get out of here. So there's a there's a handful of things that we need you to bring us up to snuff on. Um, these houses over there, they're all manufactured homes. They're selling for $150,000. <laughs> What's the deal here? What kind of houses are these? Are they single story, two story? We, yeah, we, uh, one of the things when, when uh, Mangano Homes, who's the builder, got involved. Oh, say it again? Mangano Homes. We've always called it Mogano. <laughs> <laughs> Mangano. So, got it. Um, great, great company. Uh, the owner, Andy Mangano, is a, is a great guy. He's, uh, very talented, highly experienced, super attentive to details, um, and and I think that that shows in all the homes that he's built here. I think he's built close to six thousand homes in his career. So um, he has a great eye for it. He understands the land development side and the home building very well, and uh, doesn't sacrifice at all on the quality. I mean, he's walking these new home communities daily, and uh, making sure that all the little details that when they're done right, create the, the proper feel and, and make it feel like a home for somebody. So um, it, it's been a pleasure to, to have a great relationship with him and to work with him because he does it right. I don't have to 
make any excuses for the product or anything. It's it's just done well. Now, people may be out of price point or they want single level and we got two story, but uh, the, the, the fit and finish and the execution is top notch. So, mm -hmm. um, Sarah Meadows, we probably should talk about that. So we worked on when, when Mangano Homes got involved, um, there had been a prior builder who was in place and was going to build it out. And for various reasons that uh, the owner decided to make a change and they uh, engaged Mangano Homes to come in and help them with that new home community. One of our many tasks and one of the things that created this timeline that it took for us to get it to market was looking at the product uh, that had been planned for Sarah Meadows. We, we were of the opinion after studying it and looking at it um, that there were some fairly, uh, I don't know if significance is the right word, but there were opportunities to make some enhancement and improvements to the product. And we worked really hard with uh, the architects uh, with RRM here locally, who was the lead architect. We also engaged an architect named Steve Gaffney, who uh, actually designed Marsh Street Commons downtown, another Mangano Homes community, and uh, had those two you know, work together along with us. And I think one of the keys on these new home communities is you, know, you need to have a collabor collaborative approach on the product development. Uh, an architect can't just design the plans, and a builder can't just say, well, I want this, and Sales can't just say, well, give me that. you got to all put your heads together and, and say, you know, sales knows what's happening in the trenches and what buyers are saying. Builders have experience on the construction, and, you know, they want the design to work so that the home is built well and they don't have warranty issues that are going to trail and, and impact them. Um, and then the architect's got to put all those pieces together. And so we really took a couple steps back, and I think, you know, if we'll, we'll ultimately take a leap forward or have taken a leap forward with the product. So long background on that, but um, we're really happy with the result of that effort. Our product line is basically just under 1,700 square feet on up to about 2,500 square feet. We have a, one of our larger plans has a few options that you can, you can grow the footage, you can add a room and a, a, you can change the, the loft area upstairs and add another bedroom. So Effectively, we're about 1,700 to 2,500 square feet. It's a mix of single-level and two-story homes. Um, the home sites at, at Sarah Meadows are not large, but they're somewhat traditional you know, neighborhood size, probably um, on the average about 5,000 square feet. So you know, not all of our plans fit on every lot, so there's a mix. And um, we have some great uh, elevations, mission, Spanish, provincial, craftsman, um, and so far, the response has been real positive to the changes that we've made because people had seen those prior plans. And actually, there are four homes that we have out there that will be in our first release that were the, the prior product line. So it's been real effective for us to walk people through those and then through our new product line, and they can see the you know and feel those changes that we've made. So that's sort of the range of our product uh, or our floor plan line. And then from a price point standpoint, we're starting in this first phase at about 525, and we go up to 630 in that range, depending on you know that larger house, what pieces you, you selected um, could impact the price. Although in the first phase, that's preset. But uh, so basically, call it 525 to 650 is our, our starting price point for Sarah okay. Meadows. 
In the project itself, is there um, an HOA that members are going to be a part of? A, a, I shouldn't just drop the acronym on everybody. Like a homeowners association, are there common grounds that are shared and maintained? Are there amenities like a clubhouse or a community pool, things like that? There is an HOA. There, there is not much property that is is jointly owned. There's a detention basin that's in the HOA, um, and then you know the typical. Th- interior roads in the community and that sort of stuff but there's not there's not a lot going on within the hoa um but you know just you know as it turned out we we had to plan it that way and so there is an hoa um i think we're our our projections on it initially are just over a hundred dollars but stabilized it comes down and and by that i mean once we've built out more homes the the rate comes down um, so it should be under a hundred dollars on a, you know, stabilized going forward basis, mm-hmm. which is pretty nominal compared to some that are out there. Yeah. And the whole project then, it sounds like the phasing is not necessarily predetermined, right? So you guys could, could roll it out as you see fit. Well, yes. Yeah, we can, we have, we have some flexibility within how we phase it within the, the, the the tracks or the new home community. Um, and some of that will be predicated on what, what we're seeing from the demand side. For instance, um, we've, we've met with people from our interest list for the past few weekends and we're getting some really great feedback on plans and elevations. And, and we take that very seriously and we talk about it and we, we try and understand how we can, uh, you know, utilize that information as we go forward to give us the right product mix to, you know, to hit the sweet spot of what people are looking for. So, yeah, I'm curious just to hear a little bit about the folks on the interest list. Are those people um, still as excited as they were when they put their name down in the white hot market? Are they cooled because rates are a little bit higher and maybe they're not so excited anymore? What's the, what's it feel like? Um, Well, I think they've, they've, put their names on at different points in time based on different information and quite frankly in different markets because this interest list started probably a year and a half ago and that was quite a bit different than where we are today totally so um i think there's different uh you know perceptions or or responses i I mean to generalize it i think that the response has been good to our plans to be more specific year and a half ago, they were talking about price points in the mid fours. The product line was a bit smaller. We've also enhanced the amenities, which I haven't even touched on. Um, we're really excited about that as well. Um, one of the, the noteworthy features that we've put in as a standard is solar. Mm. And we're really excited about that to be not only the first new home, single family detached in the city for say 10 years, but, uh, the first that I I know of that has solar as a standard, so um, I think that's I think people will um, you know will respond well to that. I think it makes a lot of sense. It saves them money. Um, so you know a lot has I guess my point is a lot has changed since that early information a year and a half ago. The markets changed. The pro, the home sizes we grew basically we grew the plans by about 150 square feet each. So you have an increased size. The amenity level we enhanced, um, granite slab countertops, that wasn't a standard before it is now, the solar, uh, we're doing all paver driveways instead of concrete, and um, personally I think that looks fantastic and, and quite a 
quite a bit better than, you know, the traditional concrete drive approaches. So, um, you know, with those, with the market change, the, the houses growing in size and the amenity or spec level increasing, when you add all that up and look at it, and if you did an analysis, I think there'd be value in our, you know, compared to those earlier prices to what they are today. And we believe there's quite a bit of value in the current marketplace. We look and study the market really closely. We graph it all so we can see where we're at relative to resales and other new home communities that may be out there. And, and, and we try and price to market to where people will see significant value because otherwise you're going to be sitting there and not selling homes. Sure. So, um, you know, that's, that's uh, an important factor. I think when people take the time to come out from that interest list and look at all those things and objectively, you know, analyze where it was at, what's happened in the market, what we've added to it, I think that they'll see quite a bit of value and probably be more interested and attracted, assuming that that price point still works for them. Mm -hmm. Are the, <clears throat> excuse me, are these 17 homes in the first phase, are they actually, is construction complete and are they available to, are, are you starting to entertain offers or is this something where they're due out pretty soon? How's that working? Good, good questions. Now I'm on the hot seat. Um, the 17 homes are under construction. The, the four prior models are almost done. They could probably be completed in 30 to 45 days. The 13 new production homes, uh, the, they're pouring foundations. Probably next week they'll start. Um, we also have four new models under construction. So there's quite a bit of activity out there. So the, you, you have the eight, the four existing models, the four new models, and then 13 production. So there's a lot of activity at the site. Um, so when, when the interest list, people from our interest list come out, they're meeting in our sales office. We have a, um, a fabulous sales tool from uh, a company called Focus 360 that basically renders and, il and animates our plans. And so we can take customers through those each floor plan, show them various structural options, show them, you know, what the rooms look like. And, and it's, you know, not as good as a model, but it's pretty darn close. So um, that's what we're doing right now. We also are working through some of the state processes with the, I'll call it the Department of Real Estate. I haven't caught onto the new name yet. The Bureau. Bureau. Yeah. yeah, or the Bureau of Real Estate. It doesn't, hasn't BRE. sunk in yet. <laughs> D, it's been DRE since I've ever, we've all ever known it. So um, we, have a, uh, we have a pink, which allows us to market and, and take reservations. We're working th toward getting that final public report so we can actually sell homes. But at some point in the near future, we are going to move forward. We've quoted our prices on that first phase, and we're going to move forward with reservations um, on those. And, and that'll be within a couple of weeks. We'll start that process as our plan based on what I know today. So That's great. Yeah, we're, we're really close. We, we wanted to get through the interest list, give them the opportunity since they have been with us on that list for quite a while. We wanted to work with them and get them the information. We haven't done any marketing yet but uh, we, we will obviously do that as we progress through so that's where we're at now there's another project switching gears here a little bit that um, I, I drive by every time I leave the studio here heading home towards Morro Bay drive down Marsh Street I see this project um, it's I mean it's coming to life right now it's it's quite a quite an amazing project and what was previously a pretty I, I don't know wasn't wasn't the most picturesque corner of of 
Marsh Street down there. But the block building that yeah. like burned and fell over. It had some then... weird siding issue. I don't know. There was something weird going on with it for a while, and now it's it's turning into quite a, a beautiful project. Um, so I'd like to talk a little bit about that before we we dive into that. The Marsh Street Commons project. Um, we do need to take our final commercial break of the show, um, and. Also, just want to remind you, our listeners, if you'd like to call and ask a question of Chris or of Jason or I, you can do that. We, s- we still have about 20 more minutes with you. You can call us at 543-8830, 543-8830 to get your questions or comments in. Uh, we'll be right back with more Mortgage Matters. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley and Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley and Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley and Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. Whether you're a first-time home buyer or a savvy real estate investor, there's no denying that now is a great time to buy. We pride ourselves in offering every loan program at the lowest interest rate and the lowest fees. FHA, VA, USDA, conventional, we do it all. Let Central Coast Lending do your next purchase. Your loan will close on time and on budget with no last-minute surprises. Call Central Coast Lending today at 543-LOAN. That's 543-5626. Central Coast Lending, the mortgage experts. What a state of generosity. Look what my agent got for me. Just by switching to State Farm. A few hundred unexpected bucks. I couldn't ask for more. But now I've got to figure out what I should use it for. A new bike would be radical, but maybe something practical. Like a pet baboon with one robotic arm. Get to a better state. State Farm. Switch to State Farm and you can save. To find out more in San Luis Obispo, call Agent Susan Rodriguez. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. All right, everybody, welcome back to Mortgage Matters. You know, we're just we're enjoying our guests so thoroughly here that we've decided to not cut him loose. I think we're gonna. Well, there's 20 minutes. You better keep it interesting because we'll we'll send you packing if you don't keep it together. <laughs> Sounds good. I, I'm I'm pretty well satisfied now with um, knowledge about Sarah Meadows. I feel like I can talk about that somewhat intelligently. Um, at least know how to send some people over there now to check it all out. Um, Dan brought up the Marsh Street Commons project, and um, I, too, have been pretty impressed at that little gig. And I'm actually expecting in years to come that that part of town is going to continue to be redeveloped and um, just kind of made a little bit nicer. I mean, San Luis is awfully special, and that downtown part of San Luis is pretty amazing. 
Um, what a cool little project, eh? It's a mixed-use project with some studios and also some single-family built into it. Um, looks like it's... It seems like a almost a little bit... Um, cutting edge maybe for has San that Luis. urban feel there's i was just off the air i was saying that um area that was recently redeveloped by the what is it at&t park now in san francisco it kind of has that feel to it um but it, it's a it's a really nice looking project and i think it would fit in well downtown um so yeah it, it's great it's great to see it coming along yeah that that marsh street commons has been a, a lot of fun um I, personally i i really like that product, that style. I think the opportunity there is that our downtown is so unique and attractive. It's it's like the perfect size. There's enough going on, but not too much. Um, clean, you know. I I know there's there's some issues that are being dealt with, and and but there are in any downtown. But all in all, it's a fantastic downtown, and I think it just lends itself perfectly for housing downtown. And and this has prove that out we um we have eight single family detached homes they're on small parcels uh, that sit that are uh, the ingress is off of napomo and that sits behind the commercial building uh fronting marsh is a 8500 square foot commercial building and above that are four condos we we market them as lofts probably to take advantage of that south of market uh um, loft scene but um the response has been great. We're sold out on all the residential, and on the commercial, there's it's broken down into five spaces, the 8,500 square feet, and we have three of the five in escrow with some great uh, owner-operators that I think are going to be a great fit. Um, they're experienced, very capable, and I th and so I think that whole community, if, if we can call it that, of Marsh Street Commons will, will be really a neat place, and, and uh, you know, it's been fun to see it come out of the ground. It, it it was not an easy build, but um, we're getting there, and, and, and you're finally starting to to see the, you know, the what the finished product is going to look like. So is did it, I did I hear you right? There's there's nothing. I mean, aside from two of the commercial spaces, there's nothing available there. That's correct, and and we were basically oversubscribed at the end. I mean, I have people that are still emailing me that you know, hey, if something falls out, I want to buy that loft or I want to buy the, a residence from you. So. Um, you know, I think there were a lot of developer builders that were looking, you know, may have made investments in property and planning projects, and they were curious about the marketplace and, you know, how, what's the pricing going to be, how deep is the market, and, you know, what's the profile of the buyer and all that sort of stuff. So it's been interesting to work through that and, and, and understand that better. Um, clearly, there's a market for it. Uh, so. We lost a ratty pet shop and have ended <laughs> up with a, a pretty brilliant little development there. It, can, I can't help but wonder, with such success and welcome receipt to the market, it's got to beg you guys to be trying to identify more places in town to do just the same thing, right? Uh, yeah, we're, we're always looking for other opportunities and, um, there are some that are out there and some that are, you know, further along than others, but, but yeah, and I, and I, and obviously we're not the only ones that are doing that. I mean, and it, and I, I know, it, I think it was known and understood that there was a market for housing downtown. And the real question is how deep is that market? How many buyers are out there that want that type of lifestyle? And what are the price points? 
you know, that can be attained downtown in this current environment. Well, I think there's a handful of people around San Luis that um, like that park your car kind of thing and be able to just walk around and do what you want to do and be kind of in the core. Um, perhaps people that are even here for work that wish they were in a bigger city setting and being able to live in downtown like that would meet some of those needs. But, um, yeah, I, it's a... When I was in school, which almost feels like a lifetime ago now, as a planner, we were going to visit um, projects that were really on the cutting edge of that, um, almost like the downtown Disney kind of feel to me, to put a lot of um, retail and light commercial uses below housing above stair, you know, upstairs where people could kind of have all of their needs met right where they are. Um, San Luis isn't exactly the the perfect place to have that be up and down every single block. But um, and you know what, Chris, in terms of what we studied, is you kind of very tastefully went over. There's issues downtown that are being managed and dealt with. Um, generally speaking, restoring housing to a downtown core is a very positive thing for those reasons. One of the reasons why. Um, vagrants and uh, criminal activity and things like this happen in the downtown core at night is because the people are gone and they kind of get free reign of the park with nobody really around except the occasional cop car coming down the street but when more people live there and hang out there it it means that the lights are on 24 7 and it, and it doesn't welcome that behavior so in my estimation of it the more of those quality projects we get and and keep keep further developing the the core part of the city is it only makes all of it better i i couldn't agree with you more i think as you have more residential downtown some of those problems will be policed themselves you yeah. know or they will police themselves um so yeah i i totally agree and again the the problems that are down there i think they get blown out of proportion sometime sure. and, and i'm not trying to minimize that there are problems but any downtown you you have some yeah. issues and so um i don't think you can sterilize a downtown nor should you it's part of a downtown and and you try and implement things that you know limit it and police it but but uh that's part of downtown and, and the other thing too that you mentioned earlier is who's buying these and what they want what what's pretty interesting is that and was a little little bit of a surprise to me i, I thought we would see mostly young professionals that would probably be attracted to this type of product and we've had some of that but most of the buyers have been empty nesters who have owned a high-end home maybe on an acre or four or five thousand square foot house and they don't they don't want that anymore they want something nice downtown walkable so they can go to the restaurants and the coffee and that sort of stuff but they want to be able to lock the house up and go visit the grandkids in southern cal or northern cal or or take a trip and not have to worry about the maintenance and that sort of stuff. So that's really, that was a little, that was a little bit of a surprise at, at, to me in terms of the buyer profile. But, um, and, and I think that's a trend that we're seeing and sort of came out of this economy. Two people are reevaluating, hey, do I need that five or 6,000 square foot house on an acre? You know, we, yeah, you know, frankly, when you were talking about the, the footprint size of the houses in Sarah Meadows, I was thinking the same thing then. Um, a 1,700-square-foot house, 
it seems like in a lot of California, the focus became on, you know, well, I have a 4,000 square foot, five bedroom, five bath house with like garages everywhere. And um, it's nice to hear that, you know, because it's 1,700 to 2,400 square foot house. That's a that's a pretty manageable size for a family. You can afford to heat and cool and clean and maintain a house of that size. And um, it's been predicted that that people would be returning back to those more reasonable sizes, you know, the way that it was. Our parents were raised in homes with five people in like 1,100 square feet, and now they they went through a period in their life demanding these four and 5,000 square foot houses and are now returning back to things that are more manageable. So I, I see that as a good thing. Yeah, and obviously we're generalizing because there are people out there that, that – that uh, still looking for that, and that's True. why we have that Christie's affiliation, so that we can market those higher end properties. But there, there, we are seeing a little bit of a reevaluation. Let's say of you know what what do I really need? How how large of a home do I need? What what uh, operating cost I'd like to limit with regard to that house? So um, yeah, just some changes in the marketplace. Yeah. Well, it's all pretty exciting stuff. Um, I, I've been. For years, I said, I'll believe that our housing economy is recovered when new construction is happening, when banks are calling us saying we're offering construction financing, and when people could procure financing for buying land, whether it be an owner builder type of setup or a speculative builder, and you're, you know, like what you guys are doing with these tracks. Um, and that's been the case across the board. Uh, we have now we have people offering construction loans. Um, we've recently signed up with some new companies and, and actually have loans working with success for lot and construction, which is pretty cool. Um, it feels like that part of the market is being restored and, um, Dan, you mentioned earlier in the show about how you were taken aback by a foreclosure or a short sale that a you short saw sale. being marketed. Yeah. I brought a lot of stuff today. I noticed that you kind of already packed up a lot of your stuff. There was a lot we didn't share today. Um, I got a kick out of the, uh, the foreclosure numbers. Just wanted to kind of give you guys this little update. It's interesting to me. Um, CoreLogic who's a, a very reputable company, they're reporting um, June of 2012, there were 68,000 foreclosures. In June of 2013, there were 55,000. Um, average foreclosures per month prior to 2007 was 21,000. Um, these numbers are falling in a, in a pretty big way. It's becoming pretty unusual to see a foreclosure or a short sale. A friend of the family called this week and said, I want to, I'm going to buy a house. I said, okay, well, cool. What are you thinking? She said, I'm going to, I'm going to buy a foreclosure. <laughs> I said, all right, well, welcome to the party. You're a little bit late, but I, you know, I, I think there's still some meatballs left in the crock pot, you know? <laughs> So then she she sent me a text a couple days later and said, do I contact the bank directly to get their list of foreclosures or um, should I try to find like one of those HUD foreclosure lists? And I'm going, you are too much. That just doesn't exist anymore. Um, the market's pretty well cleaned up. And um, so it's it's exciting to see things like getting all the way back on track. 
I just only hope that we don't screw around with Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac or jack interest rates up or do something that that shakes confidence in the market um, because it does. It seems like it's going gangbusters and the all of the folks that we've been tuned into for the the last seven years here that talk about what it's going to take. It's all about housing and jobs. Um, the jobs market still really not that good. Um, if it if 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 the jobs market were my son, I was trying to boast of, I would say, well, he's stopped laying off people now, which is epic, and uh, began hiring bartenders. But really, we've not we're not creating great jobs. The jobs market isn't doing particularly good. The rate goes down because people give up or are no longer counted. But the housing market is really strong and has been. So I hope we just do everything in our power to keep that going strong you and me both and well and what's funny is is that the the whole um you know all this tapering talk that sent these rates into a tissy um was supposed to be more about jobs more more about jobs and inflation than it ended up about simply housing and we t we've left our eye off the ball um we've we've gone into this like really chaotic period of turmoil in the market because of that talk and it all started a couple months ago about tapering to begin in september and i love that because september is going to be here before you know it it's already next month uh, it's laughable to think that we're going to begin tapering next month the employment market sucks um, the bond market is super confused and volatile because of these rogue errant statements. And when we find ourselves in September with no tapering, people are going to have to say, Hey, wait a minute. We weren't, we weren't even ready to talk about this. And I, I, I'm looking forward to just, um, going through a normalized period. I'm all for interest rates going up. That's fine with me. I want them to go up in a slow and methodical way where everybody that's trying to transact business can adapt and we kind of hose that <clears throat> it's hard to be slow and methodical when you're taking the lifeline away or at least you know you think that that's the or speculation anyways to. what's nice is that we have gone through this big transition period while the market was so heated and hopefully the the tapering has already been priced into the market and we will see more gradual increases from this point forward. Um, you can only hope, but we'll see when it happens. You never know. <laughs> I, I just don't know how it's going to play out, but now our generation has something to be proud of. We went through, you know, it's almost like the depression era kids. Um, you have people saying a little bit different, a <laughs> little bit different. I'm I don't remember standing in a soup line. <laughs> I'm not going to put that car on my credit card because I remember what it was like in 08. <laughs> yeah. Well, but you're, you're totally right. You know, we, we know that we are starting to recover when we see new homes come to market, builders feeling confident that they can put a project together um, for either a new single home or a new development of homes and, and feel like there's opportunity there. And we're starting to see that. You've mentioned a couple projects. There's... I, I'm starting to see several, you know, South County on the coast. There's there's a lot of projects popping up on market now, well, and that's could, an exciting time for us. It could be kind of Pygmalion, too, in as much as construction creates awesome jobs. 
and it creates head of household jobs. I mean, granted, there are the grunt labor jobs that aren't quite as um, enviable, but I mean, we found that when the economy was as robust as it knows how to be, six or arguably seven jobs out of 10 depend directly on construction. And it's a fun list to start walking down because you start, if you raised your eyebrows and said, oh, there he goes again saying stuff that doesn't make sense. No, it's escrow, appraisers, plumbers, electricians, roofers, carpet guys. They're trenchers, they're gardeners, they're putting in pavers for drywall. I mean, the list, you can you could do this list until sunrise. Um, it's really a laundry list. And so if... We believe in housing enough and, and our work in girding it up has paid off. And we bring jobs based on that pent-up demand for housing. We create those jobs in that way. We could see housing finally drag the jobs reports into place where it would make sense to taper and begin letting things normalize. Um, I'm excited about that. And I, I actually have long thought, having grown up the son of a contractor and builder, I know that that's what makes the world go round for my dad and all of like our peer group. We got to, if we're not, if we're not building, we're in a bad, bad spot. And so it's exciting to me. Chris, we've really enjoyed uh, the conversation with you today. And you've given us some great info about a couple of new projects, one that's sold out, one that's <laughs> um, just getting underway. And so why don't you let our listeners know how they could get a hold of you if they're interested in, in more information about that Sarah Meadows project? Sure. Thank you. And thanks again for having me. I really enjoyed it. It was fun to chat and spend some time with you guys this morning. Uh, for Sarah Meadows, I would suggest the website, uh, sarahmeadows.com, and that's S-E-R-R-A, meadows.com. Um, we have a great sales team out there on site. We're operating on, out of a temporary sales office. Um, and then uh, our website's richardsonproperties.com. Our phone number is 781-6040. So thanks again. We also put a blog up on our website, centralcoastlending.com, yesterday about um, Chris, a little bit of talk, kind of a preface of the show today, but you can also get his contact info from there. Go to centralcoastlending.com. Um, if you guys have any financing questions or need, want to get some advice, want to learn about maybe getting your MI to go away, um, it's a low pressure environment here. We, we view ourselves just as facilitators. We want to help answer your questions and give guidance where we can call us at the office. It's five, four, three loan, which is five, four, three, five, six, two, six. Chris, thanks again. I hope you'll come back in the future and uh, share your upcoming projects with us. Um, thanks everybody for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of mortgage matters. Have a good week.